Blog Talk Radio. Back at me, wish I could see things clearer. Oh, like who I'm supposed to be in every trial. Almost here and a time to spend more time with your family. 
So tonight out here on Reaching Out Radio, we're going to be sharing a really great new topic. It's called What's in a Name? We did a program back in 2015 called Who Am I? And Who's Who in the Bible? And this is a little bit part of from that same study. So we pray tonight that these tips will give you an encouragement with meeting your challenges and purposes in your journey in life. And I want you to remember this, that regardless of your age or position or station in life, that God has a plan for you and he has a purpose for you. Hear that? God's got a plan for you and he has a purpose for you. And if you'd like to have your friends listen in to this program this evening, please dial them up and tell them to call 626-696-8607. They can call in and listen in. That number again to share with them is the number is 626-696-8607. So, as I said earlier, greetings from the scenic town of Columbus, Texas, where the town is located on the beautiful Colorado River. You see, Columbus is one of the oldest surveyed and platted Anglo-American towns in the state of Texas. And it is on this site that the legendary Indian village of Montezuma is located. And historians say that members of Stephen F. Austin's Old 300 group began arriving in the area way back in 1821. And so with that... Good evening, Sister and Evangelist Montel Field. And again, I'm Brian Fouts. And this evening, I'm honored and excited to be back here on Reaching Out Radio, where we are reaching out to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. For those of you in the listening area, we are with Hazak Ministries. Our ministry was started to bring a message of hope and healing and encouragement. And it was originally started back in 2010 with my wife, Pastor Leah Fouts, who the Lord took home last January a year ago. Now, again, for those of you who don't know, that word hazak is a Hebrew word, and it means to make, it means or to be strong, to strengthen, to sustain. It also means to, to support, and most importantly, to encourage. And we hope that you, our listeners this evening, will be encouraged with our message that we have for you on this program tonight. And if you've missed any of our of our previous radio programs, you can always go to Reaching Out Radio at... <coughs> I just lost it, folks. Hold on, I have to cough for a second. So anyway, you can go to Reaching Out Radio, go on the Internet, and you can go to Blog Top Radio, and you can just type in Brian and Leah Fouts, and there you can find all of our previous radio shows, and you can listen to them on demand for free. So before we start, folks, let's open the program with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight right now. You are Yeshua HaMashiach, Father. We pray for protection, Father, for our sister Montel and for her family and for reaching out radio. And Father, we pray against any technical difficulties that may arise, and we we speak against any demonic powers that are in the airwaves that may be trying to interfere and to cut in. And most importantly as well, we'd like to pray for those in the listening audience. We pray for open hearts, for changed lives this evening, and we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. 
as my beautiful bride Leah used to say. So, Brian, what are we sharing tonight with our listeners? You know, I thought it would really be fun to take a look at a person's name in the Bible. You know, like, who are they? And what do they do? And what did it mean? What does their name mean? So, before we get started, if you would, grab your Bibles, or if you are on your computer, or if you're on your iPad or your phone, turn to your favorite Bible program or a website link that you might have, and then go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 18. And I'd like to remind our listeners that we will be using the New American Standard Bible version, unless we've got a different translation, and we will let you know what that is. So remember, we look forward to hearing from you. So today, with this exciting Bible study, this is actually kind of part one of a previous Bible study series that was called What's in a Name? And here you're going to be learning how a name that is given to you will actually speak of your future and of your calling. And you know, this is really going to be a fun and educational study, so stay tuned in. So, why would this be interesting to know what's in a name? Well, here's two reasons why. Because we learn when we study about names that a name can either be a blessing or it can be a curse. Now, some of you in the listening audience might be asking, well, how in the world can a name be a blessing or a curse? And you know, you have to realize that names are very, very important. And you have to think of how those names are used. So, let me give you a couple examples of that. Now, names can be used like for titles, you know, like Mr. or Mrs. or Miss. And you can sometimes refer to these people as sir or lady or even ma'am. Or maybe like a person that might be a knight or a prince or a king. Or, as I used to call my wife Leah, a queen for all of you ladies are out there. So better yet, how about Lord and Master, like Jesus? So here's a question for you to kind of think about. Do we just assign a name to somebody? You know, we just reach in the hat and pull out a name? Or as someone once said, they said, like, well, any name will just do. Well, not exactly. You see, naming someone is even more special. Now you might ask, well, why is that? Well, because, you see, it's going to tell you a lot about that person. And it's going to tell the rest of the world who you are and that your name will be remembered as you live. Now, this is really true, and when you die, your name will be reflect the legacy that you leave behind to your family, to your friends, and to the rest of the world. All right, Brian, you might be saying, hey, so why is a name important? What's the big deal? Well, think about this. Would you name your son Sue? Yes, you heard that right. Kenny Rogers did a song years ago about a boy named Sue. But really, would you name your son Sue an heir to your family? Sue, really? No way. And as they say down here in Texas, that'll start a fart right down here just bigger in Dallas. So, but what about a daughter's name? Now, for instance, would you name your daughter Halal? 
You know, it sounds intriguing, almost kind of cool, you know, but think about this. You go, hello, hello, come here, come here. It almost sounds like you'd be calling your dog. And then there's that. So I picked the word name, but what does that word mean? Well, halal is a Hebrew word, and it means to profane oneself, to defile oneself, or pollute oneself. Yeah, I know, that sounds really, really terrible, but it's worse than that. In English, that same word is translated into the word for prostitute. Now, that'll make you think twice before you use that name, won't it? And then let's say that you wanted to name a boy or a son Homet. That's right, Homet. It almost sounds like a name for a street gang or some guy like named Homie or something. But, you know, maybe it's a name from Europe or for the Middle East. But its name actually implies that it's some kind of a lizard or an unclean animal. And probably something that is extinct. And that English word for Homet, well, it means snail. Yes, it really means snail. So, and with that, people could possibly think that you were named that way because you are slow or just not really smart. Or as I say out here sometimes, it's like calling somebody stupid. But you see, listeners, these names can have an impact on a child growing up, and that name will carry with them all the way into their adult age and older. And throughout our study, we're going to be looking at several different names from the Bible and elsewhere. And we will share how those names became either a curse or a blessing. So again, grab your pen or your pencil and paper, or get to your computer or your iPad, and while you're taking notes, remember to write down any thoughts or comments and questions you might have. And then if you'd like, you can always email me, uh, and you can send that email to brian at hazakministries.com, and I'll try to answer them on uh, personally, or you can always send a text to 832-878-8043. Please be sure to add your name so that I'll know who is contacting me. Now, time for a little fun here. You can kind of share this with your kids and friends if you want to. So here's a question for you. Do you know where baseball is mentioned in the Bible? Okay, so where is baseball mentioned in the Bible? Well, the answer is kind of funny. It actually reads in Genesis 1-1, where it reads, in the big inning. <laughs> so with that, let's start from the beginning. So our first name that's going to be mentioned in the Bible is Adam. So again, please open up your Bibles to turn with me to Genesis Five verses 1 and 2, and I will be reading from the Amplified Bible, and here we will find our answer. It says that this is the book, the written record, the history of the generations of the descendants of Adam, when God created man, and he made him into the likeness of God, not physical, but a spiritual personality and morale. Now, You see, God, he created them, both male and female, and he blessed them, and then he named them mankind at the time, and then they were, they were created. Okay, so let me back up here. So Adam is our first name we're going to talk about. So 
So what does that name Adam actually mean? Well, Adam is both the proper name of the first human and a designation for humankind. You see, God himself gave this appellation to Adam and Eve in Genesis 5, 1 and 2. And the color red lies behind the Hebrew root of Adam. This may reflect the red soil from which he was made. So Adam was created from the red dust. Not the red dirt, but from the red dust. Because when I read that several times, I said, you know, that's really cool. It's not that he formed him out of the dirt. He formed him out of the dust. Now, the Hebrew word for Adam is actually Adam, and it means man or mankind in the first man. And here's something pretty interesting. Adam is also a city in the Jordan Valley in the Middle East. This was near the Jordan River where waters of the Jordan heaped up so that Israel could cross over to conquer the land. Yes, you heard me right. I said it was where the waters of the Jordan heaped up so that Israel could cross over to conquer the land. Now, for some of our listeners out there, maybe you don't know anything about this, but we wanted to share this little background on this. So you can turn to Joshua chapter 3, verse 16. That's Joshua 3, verse 16. And again, I'm reading this from the Amplified Bible. It reads, The waters which were flowing down from above stopped and rose up in one mass a great distance away at Adam, or Adam. And this is the city that is beside Zarephan. Those waters flowing downward toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And so the people crossed the river opposite of Jericho. And in scripture, just like when they crossed the Red Sea, they crossed on dry land. So if you think about it, you just got to say, wow, the waters actually stopped and stood straight up in the air. Now, I don't know about you all, but I thought that was pretty cool. So then what more do we know about Adam? Well, in Genesis 2.7, it shares about the dust or the soil where Adam came from. So we're going to read again from Genesis 2-7, but I'm reading this from the New King James Version. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Now again, we just read that Adam was formed from the ground. And what's interesting that the words Adam are ground dough. How do they go together? Well, you have a dom from Adam for ground, and the Hebrew word is ad-ma, which means the ground in general that is tilled and yielding sustenance. It is also a piece of ground or a specific plot of land. It also means that the earth substance, like for building or for constructing, and as the ground as earth's visible surface. It also means the land or the territory or the country. And this was pretty cool. It also means the whole inhabited earth. Not part of it, not some of it, but the whole inhabited earth. Now, the Bible Dictionary states that Adam is identified with humankind rather than any particular nationality. And while I was doing my research in the Bible Dictionary, it says that the country, the country from which that Adam came from 
in which the desk was taken is not specified, but there's no particular nationality. Now, this is really interesting because the rabbis believe that it came from all over the earth so that no one could say, my father is greater than yours. So that word formed in this verse is the Hebrew word, yet zare. And here that word means to form. It means to fashion or frame. It also means to be predetermined or preordained or created. And you know, it is just like making pottery. The creator formed man out of dust and then breathed the breath of life into his new creation. And here's something for you to ponder on. This was the very first person that God made. Special planning and special care went into this project, and there was a special intimacy that was shared between God and man, one that was not shared with, with the animals. And here's something else that was unique. Turn to Psalms 8, verses 5. Again, Psalms 8, verse 5. And I'm going to read this from the New King James Version. Again, Psalms 8, verse 5. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You know, what an extreme high honor. And you have crowned him with the glory and with the honor. So here we see that Adam was made a little lower than the angels or God at his creation, and he was crowned with glory, and he was crowned with honor. Now, the Bible Dictionary also states that rabbis speculated that the glory of Adam's heel outshone the sun. Again, this is from Psalms verses 8-6 in the New King James. Again, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet. Here God bestowed upon Adam a great order. Adam was commissioned like that of a king to rule over creation. And this kingship was to rule over nature, but not his fellow man. So I want to move on to our next special person, and that person that we're going to talk about is, of course, Eve. We find that Eve is first mentioned in Genesis 3.20, and again, I'm going to read this from the Amplified Bible, Genesis 3.20. The man named his wife Eve, life spring or life giver, because she was the mother of all the living. Now that name Eve in Hebrew is the name is and it means life or living. And Eve is the first woman, and she is the wife of Adam. And here's something that's pretty neat. She was named Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. That's pretty amazing. Now, this is kind of interesting. All four passages in the Bible that contain the name of Eve all refer to the wife of the original man, Adam. And if you want to jot these down, you can go and look up in Genesis 3.20, which we just read, Genesis 4.1, 2 Colossians 11.3, and 1 Timothy 2.13. Again, that's Genesis 3.20, Genesis 4.1, 2 Colossians 11.3, and 1 Timothy 2.13. And here her creation takes place after God's assertion that it is not good for the man to be alone. So, 
let's look at that. Let's look at what the Lord actually says in Genesis 2:18 again, and I'm reading from the Amplified. Now the Lord God said, "It is not good or beneficial for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, one who is balances him, and one who is a counterpart, and one who is suitable and complementary for him." And that's the way that our spouses should be. Now, in this passage, the Lord's announcement is that he will make the man a helper who corresponds to him. That Hebrew word is Ezer Kanagdo, and he would make this helper to be his peer and complement. And the observation that no other creature yet formed is suitable. Now, that's pretty cool. So this means that the woman or the women are to be helpers to their husbands and that they are to walk with them, not behind them, but beside them. And in Genesis 2, uh, verses 24 and 25, it reads really great in the Amplified. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed or embarrassed. Now, the commentary on this says that this all illustrates that the innate human need for community. Indeed, the marriage relationship involving these first two humans, Adam and Eve, typifies all forms of human coexistence designed to satisfy the primal yearning for fellowship. And this is how the foundation of the family began. So let's kind of move on to the next couple of people in the Bible. I know there's a lot of stuff that I could be sharing about Adam and Eve, but I'm really trying to pay a little bit more attention about what's in a name or who's in the Bible and who they are. So the next people that are named in the Bible are Cain and Abel. So if you would, you can turn to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Again, that's Genesis 4, 1 and 2, and I'm going to read this from the New American Standard Bible. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, the name Cain in Hebrew, that word is kayin, and it means possession. In the Holman Bible Dictionary, we learn that that personal name of Cain actually means acquisition, and it is related to a Hebrew word meaning craftsman or a metal worker. So when you have time, please look up and read Genesis 4, 3 through 16, to learn more about these. And we just wanted to just briefly give you kind of an overview of what happened and how this applies to their names. Now, this was really interesting. In another dictionary, we found that the meaning of Cain, as I said, it means possession or a spear. And the firstborn son of Adam and Eve, Cain became a tiller of the ground as his brother Abel followed the pursuits of pastoral life. My wife, Pastor Leah, once told me that Cain was a sullen, self-willed, haughty, vindictive man wanting the religious element in his character. Wanting. Not having, but wanting. He wanted to be religious, but no commitment. 
and Cain was defiant even in his attitude towards God. I've shared over time that I tell people, I said, you know what the difference between being involved and being committed is. It's like having bacon and eggs for breakfast. You see, the chicken's involved, but the pig's committed. And Cain was defiant even in his attitude towards God. Yep, he basically wanted to be seen going to church and giving a little bit of money, but more for show than a commitment to being a Christian and to being a follower of God. And haven't we all at one time or another done kind of the same thing? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. But then in time, we then find that we have to have obedience because obedience demands a sacrifice. And in time, probably on the Sabbath, that the two brothers presented their offering to the Lord. Abel's offering was of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat, while Cain's was of the fruit of the ground. So I want want us to turn to Hebrews 11.4, and I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Again, that's Hebrews 11.4. It says, And it is by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave him evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. Now, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, it reads like this. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, for his part, brought the firstlings of his flock, their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, listeners, I want to just share with you that in this example, in these verses, we find that Abel's sacrifice was far more excellent than Cain's, and it was accepted by God. So when this happened, as my bride once said, on this account, Cain was ticked, and he was mad at his brother, and yes, he was mad enough to kill. And so we find over in Genesis 4-8 that Cain murdered his brother Abel. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, about what God had said, and when they were alone working in the field, Cain attacked Abel, his brother, and killed him. And for this crime, he was expelled from Eden. Then in Genesis 4.15, the Lord had a mark placed on Cain's forehead. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills him who kills Cain... A sevenfold vengeance, that is, punishment seven times even worse, shall be taken on him by me, the Lord. And the Lord set a protective mark or a sign on Cain, so that no one, so that anyone who found him would know not to kill him. So he might be protected from the wrath of his fellow men, and that this was to assure Cain that he would not be killed himself. So Cain was doomed to be a wanderer and a fugitive in the earth. He later went into the land of Nod. That's N-O-D, the land of Nod. And this area was known as the land of exile, which is said to have been in the east of Eden. And there he built a city named after his son, Enoch. We'll share a little bit more about Cain's families a little bit later in our study here. So let's talk about his brother Abel. The Hebrew word for his name is 
Hevvel, and it means breath. It means vapor, and it means meadow. And that, and here's something that was pretty neat. Abel's name is associated with the shortness of life, and he was the second son of Adam and Eve. Now, they say that Abel may have been a twin because in Genesis 4-2 it literally reads, and she continued to bear his brother Abel. Now, his claim to fame is that by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. That's in Hebrews 11.4. Some have actually thought that it was the better sacrifice because it was the sacrifice of an animal. However, the emphasis on faith in Hebrews and the idea of a proper offering in the Septuagint or the translation uh, of Genesis 4.7. It actually suggests that Abel's offering was made with a correct attitude and in the proper manner. You give because you want to give, because you want to worship God, not because you have to write a check. So then why did all of this happen? Because of jealousy. And because of that jealousy, Cain killed Abel. Now, the commentary in Hebrew, for Hebrews 12.24 uh, compares Abel's blood with Christ's blood. Abel's blood calls for vengeance, but Christ's blood carried with the idea of forgiveness. And you can read more about looking at Matthew 23, verses 35, Luke 11.51, and 1 John 1.7. 1, Those verses, again, that you can go and look up is Matthew 23, verse 35. Luke 11, 51, and 1 John 1, 7. But here's really something interesting. Abel was outstanding because he was the first person to worship God correctly, to demonstrate faith accurately, and to please God fully. And Abel was the first shepherd and influenced the early Hebrews to place a priority on taking care of flocks and animals. And I like the way that Dr. Constable uh, who has, uh, John Constable has a, a huge file on Constable's notes, and it's on all 66 books of the Bibles. It's fascinating. So if you go online, you can look up every book and see. They don't really repeat the verses, but what he does is he gives you commentary on a lot of the verses that are in there, so you need to keep your Bible open. So this is how he wrote about Abel's death. He said, Abel was the first martyr, and he was the first of our race, to die. So we've spent some time here in learning about Adam and his family, and as we continue, we will be sharing more about the names in the Bible and who they are and what their names mean, but we're not going to do all of them tonight, and we're not going to do all of them throughout our study. We really want to just key on some of the more important figures in the Bible. Now, for the rest of the study, I want us to go down the list of Cain's relatives, because this will really set the tone of the difference of good and evil in man. So, this is where it starts. Yes, there is the good, the bad, and the ugly. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 4, verse 17. And again, I'm reading this from the Amplified Bible. It says, Cain knew his wife, one of Adam's descendants, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And Cain built a city named after his son and called it Enoch. Now, Constable's notes share this. He says that Cain's wife, in verse 17, was evidently one of his 
sisters or nieces. God did not prohibit the marrying of siblings and close relatives until the Mosaic Law. Now, in case you didn't know, someone you might ask, well, what is the Mosaic Law? Well, the Mosaic Laws are the laws given by God to the Israelites through Moses, which can be found in the Old Testament of the Bible. Mosaic Law begins with the Ten Commandments and includes the rules regarding religious observations and outlined in the Pentateuch, which the Pentateuch are really the first five books of the Bible, of the Hebrew Bible. And the descendants of Cain are listed in chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And Constable's notes also share this extra bit of information. By virtue of being Cain's descendants, the people named in the genealogy all inherit his curse. All of the descendants of Cain's line, all basically in his genealogy, all inherit his curse. And thus the Cainite genealogy became part of the Yahwist's account of man's increasing sin. Now, Cain had built that city east of Eden and in the land of Nod and called it the name after his own son, Enoch. But this is, not, this is not the same Enoch that would later come from Adam's side of the family. This Enoch was Cain's firstborn son. And here is something really kind of interesting that I found during the research on this. Cain and Abel stand out from the other descendants because they represent the two manners of life. One manner of life begins with gain, and the other manner of life begins with vanity. Again, one life, one life begins with gain, and the other manner of life begins with vanity. From Cain and Abel's two lines on this earth, they developed, and two different realms were produced. The first realm from the line of Cain is the Satanic Kingdom. The second realm from the line of Abel we call the Divine Mystical Realm. These two realms are always struggling and fighting against one another. Now, when Cain killed Abel, God placed a mark on him then. And in Genesis 4.16 it reads, So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod east of Eden. Now, here again, that name of Nod means wandering. And after leaving God's presence, Cain began to wander. Wherever he went, he was a wandering person. And if you think about this, we, too, can be just like that. When we, wait, when we walk or run away from God, we run away from his presence, and then we begin to wander through life. When we walk or run away from God, we run away from his presence, and then we begin to wander through life. Now, Cain's name implies the title of gain or I gain. And Cain begot Enoch, whose name means learning. Of one of the sites that we were looking at during our research, we found this, that learning the spiritual things on the line of life is very difficult, while learning the non-spiritual things on the line of knowledge is much easier. Now, with regards to the line of knowledge, we can gain and learn knowledge very quickly. But in the line of life, it takes longer to learn. I found this interesting quote from the Cleveland Church website. It said, the learning of worldly things comes rapidly, but the learning of spiritual things comes through years of pursuing. And I thought that was pretty neat. And the site also shared this. It said, a city is actually God's desire. 
It is God's ultimate intention to have a holy city, the New Jerusalem. But the first city in the Bible was not built by God's people. The first city was built by Cain, the one that God sent away from his presence. So did Cain's line of children move quickly in life? Yeah, they did. And in fact, when we go to Enoch's son, his son's name was Irad, I-R-A-D. That name Irad actually means rapid or fast. So everything that the family did was for personal gain, and it was learned fast, and it was done quickly. Fast, 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 fast. So moving on, the next person in the family line was Irad's son, Mehujael. That's M-E-H-U-J-A-E-L. And I'm sure that I'm mispronouncing that incorrectly, but it's Mehujael. One definition that we found in our research was that his name means struck by God, and it also means God is combating. The name Mehujal indicates that God was struggling with the human beings on this line. Think about this. Starting starting with Cain and his family in time, God came in and was fighting. Thus, God was and is combating. This means that God is really fighting for us. You see, we can get caught up in our religion or our work. We can become zealous and in our careers or our other interests, and we can go too fast. And then we need to learn too fast, and we may feel like we have to earn more money or fame too fast. And we try to do too many things too fast and too quickly just to stay up or to get ahead. That's kind of like the way the technology is today. We spend so much time trying to learn the new gadget, gadget and anything else that comes out just to try to stay even or ahead when a lot of times we just need to keep things basic, like reading the Bible. We've had a lot of friends over the years that as they got older, they just felt to stop growing and stop reading, and they were waiting on Jesus to return. And I once shared with a a, a man that was a client of mine, I just said, I said, you see that book next to your table there? And he said, yeah. I said, what's it say? He said, well, it says the Bible. And I said, do you know what it stands for? And he said, no. And I said, it stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. So it's important that you stay up and stay in tune with God's word by reading your Bible. So just like these other people did too many things too fast, too quickly, then when we do then suddenly we find ourselves going too fast. Then God comes into the combat. God is combating life for us. God's combating is for us not to remain in the line of knowledge, in the line of knowledge, but to return to the line of life. And we have to be we have to learn to be led by him. We have to learn to trust him. And again, we have to learn to be led by him. So let's read Genesis 4.18. This is from the New American Standard Bible. Now to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad became the father of Methuel, and Methuel became the father of Methusheel, and Methusheel became the father of Lamech. Now the next son born in this line was Methusheel, and his name actually means struck by God. Now, what's interesting here is that in the Walbert-Zook commentary, it says that the land of Nod was a land of fugitives from God. How about that? It was a land of fugitives from God. Yes, my sweet little 
Grace Kitty from my wife is in here. She's speaking. She wants to say something. So you might hear her in the background. Now, Mechual was the father of Methuselah, and his name, meaning of this name, is different than all of the others. Here it means man of God. Now, that was kind of interesting. Now, out of God's combating with Cain's line of children, a man of God was born. For some, this may seem odd and hard to understand. So how can there be a man of God on the line of Cain? Yeah, I mean, like, look at all of the bad boys in his line. Now, Cain's children never changed. They stayed with that same line of knowledge. And this line of knowledge actually belongs to the satanic realm. Satan, God's enemy, was still the ruler of this time, even with Methuselah, the, name, the man who was named the man of God. But with the news, with this new son, a man of God, wouldn't change things. You see, it was just like a lot of the kings in Israel. You had good kings and bad kings. And some of the good kings came in, and they would start taking out all of the uh, Baal worship and all of the other uh, gods that the people had brought into worship, but they failed to take down the high places on the ha- on the high mountains, and so that's kind of what what happened. Things would not change. So you would think, but wait, there's more. Methusheel begot Lamech. Now Lamech is not to be confused with Limech, who comes from Adam's line. Lamech means powerful and overthrowing. Now, if we continue down the line of Cain's descendants, we eventually come to Lamech, who I just mentioned. And Lamech's name actually means powerful, and it means overthrowing. And Lamech represents the outcome of Cain's line. He was a wild and evil man. Lamech murdered a man and then boasted to his wives, plural, wives, I have slain a man for wounding me even a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. And that's from Genesis 4, 23 and 24. So this is basically the result of the line of Cain. Let's look at Genesis 4, 19 through 22. It says, Lamech took to himself two wives. The name of one was called Adah, and the other name was Zillah. Yeah, I know, you could probably make fun with that name, Zillah. But Adam gave birth to Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in the tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all of those who play the lyre and the pipe. As for Zillah, the wife, she also gave birth to Tubal Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron, and the sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah, Naamah, that's N-A-A-M-A-H. So Lamech took for himself two wives, and it's interesting how it said that he took and not married. And again, the name of one was Adah, and her name means adornment or ornament. And in the future, there would be another woman with the same name. She would be the wife of Esau and the mother of the Edomite officials. And the name of the other wife? that he took was Zillah. Interesting that her name means shadow. This seems kind of dark to me, a name meaning shadow. 
So Ada gave birth to Jabal, which means moving or stream, and Jabal was the father of those who dwell in the tents and who raise cattle. That's from Genesis 4.20. So Jabal's job or life was for making a living. And the brother of Jabal, his name was Jubal. His name means plain or a ram's horn. And Jubal would become the father of all of those who play the lyre and they play the pipe. And so, to repeat, Jubal was the inventor of musical instruments. He was a musician and his life was for entertainment. I just can't wait to be on the stage and impress everybody. So, yep, he was the original music store guy. And Lamech's other wife, Zilla, well, as I've mentioned briefly earlier, she gave birth to Tubal Cain. His name is associated with the origin of metalworking. It also means coppersmith. And he was the forger of every cutting instrument of bronze and iron. And he designed weapons for self-defense. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Nama, and her name actually means pleasant or delightful. We find later in the Old Testament that another woman with the same name, that was an Ammonite wife of Solomon and a mother of Rehoboam. That's in 1 Kings 14.31 and 2 Chronicles 12.13. Those verses again are 1 Kings 14.31 and 2 Chronicles 12.13. And that was really interesting. So here's something to think about in these names. Jabal signifies making a living. Jubal signifies making our lives enjoyable. And Tubalcane signifies defending ourselves and attacking others. And here is the commentary on this. This line of Cain and his offering make up three separate lines of human existence. Whatever we do in the world belongs to one of these three lines. Whatever we study or gain or pursue in life eventually will bring us to one of these three lines of Lamech. Now, that's pretty heavy if you think about it. And basically, making a living and entertainment and doing defense are the controlling elements of human existence. Let me repeat that. Making a living, entertainment, and doing self-defense are the controlling elements of human existence. And in my further research, this was pretty interesting from Dr. Constable's notes. He said, by virtue of being Cain's descendants, the people named in the genealogy all inherit his curse. By virtue of being in Cain's descendants, the people named in the genealogy all inherit the curse. And thus the Cainite genealogy became part of the Yahwist's account of man's increasing sin. They all sinned. So here's kind of an interesting question that some of you might ask. Are there any modern-day descendants of Cain? Well, I did some more digging on this, and only one son, presumably the most significant male heir, Enoch, is mentioned. He is the first patriarch in the line of Cain's named pre-flood descendants. Pre-flood. Presumably, Cain had no post-flood descendants, as all of them were destroyed in the flood. Only Noah and his sons and his descendants are of Adam's son, Seth. So again, only Noah and his family were saved from the flood and none other. Well, 
that's all that I've got to share with you tonight, and we're going to try to be bringing you some more on another program. So something to remember, learning on how a name is given to you will speak of your future and of your calling. And we pray that you are always blessed and encouraged by the programs that we bring to you. As a reminder, there may be bitterness and confusion and anxiety going on right now in this world, and the enemy is trying to distract us from the Lord our God. And this is extremely important, that if we repent, yes, I said that if we repent and turn back to the Lord, that he will heal our land and that he will heal us. So today remember that this, that God is still on the throne and he's still in control. And I want to read to you God's promise, and this is from Second Chronicles 7.14 from the Amplified. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, seek, crave, and require of necessity my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive them of their sin, and heal their land. Hmm. What just might be waiting for me down the road? Well, when you find yourself at the fork of a road, or finding that you have some difficult or challenging decision to make, remember to take time out and to pray. Yes, pray and ask the Lord for his way for your life and to reveal the path that you should take. From Psalms 25, 4 and 5, it says, Let me know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you, and only you, I wait expectantly all the day long. And, as, and I love what Dr. Miles Monroe shared about finding the path and asking the Lord where he would lead us. And here's a great reminder of one of his promises, of God's promises. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. If you haven't already, take time out tonight to sit down and pray and ask God, to come into your life and to help to change your life if you haven't already. Ask him to show you the way that he has for you. He's got great things in store for you. And as Miles Monroe said, it doesn't matter if you're 8, 18, 38, 58, or 88, God still has a plan for you. So we want you to be encouraged. Just as a reminder, uh, my wife and I, we wrote three books in our ministry. The first one was about losing our daughter and how the Lord changed our life from misery to ministry, a walk of faith. It's a great book to help those who have lost a loved one. Our second book that we wrote together is called Steps of Faith. It's learning to take your very own steps of faith in life and learn to be led by the Holy Spirit. And that's important. And these are all real-life stories and things that we share. And the third one is called Walking Through Grief, A Journey of Peace. It's a great resource book. And we hope that these books will bring you hope and healing and encouragement for you, for your family, and for your friends as well. And you can receive one of these books free by emailing us and requesting one of these books by going to hazakministries.com. Again, that's www.hazakministries.com. So thank you, and if you would like for me to come and speak at your church, to your men's groups or special events or grief groups, even to a men's group, to a woman's group, if you'd like, you can contact me at 832-878-8043. That number again is 
878-804-3. We trust that you've been blessed by our message of hope and healing and encouragement this evening. And if you'd like to support our ministry, that you can send us a love offering to Hazak Ministries. That's H-A-Z-A-K, Hazak Ministries. And you can send that to P.O. Box 159, Industry, Texas, 78944. Again, that's P.O. Box 159, Industry, Texas, 78944. Or you can go to our website at www.hazakministries.com, and you can click on the Donate button and donate online. And remember, we serve an awesome, awesome God. So this next month, we'll have another study for you coming up uh, toward the, at the last Thursday in September. And this next month is the Hebrew month of Tishri. And during this month coming up will be the new Jewish New Year of 5784. And that will usher in Rosh Hashanah, the 10 days of Ah, and the Atonement. And we look forward for you looking that up. So until next time... Be strong and be his Blessings, Pastor Brian Fouts. Good night.